Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning or winning inside. Fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hello, uh, I'm Kieran Gillen. Ben has invited me on to talk today. I am the writer of books like The Wicked Divine and Phonogram and lots of stuff for Marvel and the forthcoming Once and Future. Uh, but today I'm going to talk about Die. Uh, this is actually the second attempt of trying to talk about Die due to me messing up the first recording at Circle of the Fifth Issue. So instead I'm going to be talking about The Trade, which comes out on Wednesday the 5th of June, as in tomorrow at the point of recording. Um, which sort of changes things a little. That's the thing, is about trades and single issues are fundamental different entities. This is kind of like one of the problems of somebody who works primarily in um, the single issues, which then collected model. A single issue is a narrative unit, uh, and the trade is also a narrative unit. And in the case of Deutsch, an ongoing series, that means the trade, the series itself, is also a narrative unit. So basically, all these kind of narrative units have to exist in its own sort of aesthetic coherence. So that's kind of what I, and I suspect I'm going to end up talking about. Because if I was talking about a single issue to you, I'd be talking about like how that operates, as in what's it for? Why is this standalone and work as a meaningful unit? Uh, whilst the trade is still a different one. Uh, with Wicked Divine, which was the book I did previously, is... Like, we... Me and Jamie McKelvey aren't naturally people who buy single issues. Like, we buy all our friends' stuff, but we're some people who came into the industry through trades. So, in other words, um, when we think about single issues, what I'm actually thinking is, how on earth could I make me buy it? You know what I mean? <laughs> As in, like, if I'm not interested in buying the single issues, why on earth would anyone else be? In which case, we are doing, you know, we're thinking about compression of information. We're thinking about, like, making sure there's a meaningful amount of content in it. And we're also thinking about, like, cliffhangers. It's that kind of, you know, what what is the big narrative hook for the next issue? Um, and, of course, when you collect them in a trade, we also are thinking about what is the end of the trade climax. Because, basically, it's a series of, like, smaller cliff... You know, smaller things that push you through the narrative. And at the end of the, the arc is the big thing that changes the structure. As in, here's, like... we You need a bigger cliffhanger to get over six months of gap as in between trades rather than a gap of a month. Does that make sense? Die. Um, when I was originally thinking about Die with Stephanie is I wanted to do something else. Like there's lessons 
from Wickdiv in Die, but at the same time I'm, I'm quite aware that Die is deliberately meant to be not as as much as a banger. You know what I mean? As in, it's not meant to be like playing Glastonbury on the main stage and like the whole place is going crazy. This is deliberately a little bit more stately, a little bit more um, uh, considered. Uh, I'm I'm avoiding cliffhangers as much uh, in the individual issues in in, in favour of really trying to kind of like just like have each issue as this these mood pieces. I mean, if you actually look at the trade, however, that's not quite true. There's like um. First issue has a cliffhanger. Uh, second and third issues don't really. They have kind of like lingering mood moments. End of issue four and issue five definitely have kind of like major beats. And issue five especially. I think that's kind of when I look at this trade and look at Die generally. It's interesting what I've lost and what I haven't lost. And that kind of like the end of the trade is where I've kind of like pushed the volume up. And to be honest, writing the second volume is the same. Anyway, let's look at Die. Uh, probably best to describe the concept of Die. Uh, Die is... I mean, my two like word pitch is goth Jumanji. You know what I mean? Like, um, and the idea that these people are dragons from another world and I'm trying to get home. Of course, when I use the word goth, what I mean is incredibly bleak and depressing. Um, our specific version of the plot is... To be honest, it was inspired by the 1980s D&D cartoon. Like, I was just walking around and joking my friends, like Ray Fawkes and Jamie McKelvey. Like, whatever happened to those kids? Um... Which were basically kids who were dragged into a, a fantasy world via a train, via a ride at a fun fair. Um, and I've sort of the idea that them as 40 year olds getting dragged back. Which of course makes the other comparison It. It is, was my, um, of all the Stephen King books I've read, it's, I think it's my favourite. Well, it's the one that, whose structure I find most fascinating. It's the idea of this, if you understand, the, instead of the movie, which you'll probably be aware of if you haven't read the book, the book works in a different mode. Because it, it tells the story you see in the movie as in a group of kids in their teenage years being dragged into a horror. It's also told in the present day of them as adults uh, coming back to the and remembering all the things that happened. So in other words, it's a really interesting horror structure. So in other words, you get both this kind of initial innocence being destroyed of, the, of what happened to them as teenagers, and you also get them as adults dealing with the you know dealing with it, and that's wonderful. You know, when I say wonderful, it's like you really get to see how this hurt them. And, you know, you get to see the wounds, you, all that kind of stuff. And for me, in Dime, it's like, well, this is the device for me comparing teenage fantasies to adult realities. As in, like, oh, this is kind of a fantasy world we kind of made up when we were teenagers. Like, going back there allows, me, that allows you to really compare how their life actually went, how they've changed, how they haven't changed, what dreams they gave up. Um, so it's like a midlife crisis book in that way, which sounds incredibly depressing, and is rightly so. Um... Let's see, like, like looking at the trade. First thing, it's like uh, the cover, which is probably the thing with, with Stephanie, is like, you know, what do you do on a trade cover? Stephanie has been, been doing individual issues. Stephanie, so the individual issues, Stephanie has been doing basic character pro- profiles for each of the five issues. We get these portraits of individual characters. We start with Ash, then we move through the other characters. It goes from the D4 character, the D6 character, the D8, the D10, the D12, um, which we did by accident. We didn't even plan that. <laughs> um, that's probably the other thing the characters gain their special abilities via uh, dice this is of course one of the things that as in each character gets their own dice which is the thing that transforms them this is kind of like part of the thing that the comic is about the fetishization of D&D or rather we fetishize D&D but it's also slightly about the fetishization and if you think about the icons of Dungeons and Dragons those dice is it I mean if you think about the dice they look weird 
I mean, like, obviously, they're kind of, like, more familiar now, but the D20 is still an, an odd object, and it's also an object you see and you think D&D, or, or role-playing games, generally. Um, it's, you know what I mean? As in, it, if you've got an icon, it's that. And, like, if and I'm old enough to have been playing in the 80s, and those dice might have well been, like, Lovecraftian artefacts that were that strange. So, that's part of the story. With the trade, however, it's like, well, how do you, how do you sum that? Is we had to we had various ideas, um, and we kind of wanted to do the core party. So we've got the five people on the cover. Um, Matt, Ash, Chuck, Angela, and Isabel. Um, so, and Stephanie was trying to work with ideas. So we had the, the, the main cast in, this, in the central area. Then we thought, okay, we can make the background. We need to sort of speak about to the fact, oh, this is a story about the real world, but it's also a fancy world. So we have these kind of fancy characters in the central image, and we have like a cityscape behind them. Uh, so it's hopefully going to get the idea of the dual world aspect to it. Um, that's probably a thing. The other thing is, we have unusual title structure. It's one of the things like we, I wanted to... When I was originally thinking about um, Die, the idea was, well, we're doing a fancy world, but I don't want it to be that kind of RPG comic. I mean, there's some really good books which are inspired by RPGs out there, or at least informed by RPGs. And if I could generalise, the tone most of them are doing is kind of fun. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's a nice time. This is kind of like all fun and adventures and all that stuff. And I was very aware that I wanted to be the opposite of that. I wanted to be deadly serious. Um, I like... T- you know, taking it seriously would be kind of the thing. In the first issue, a character says, Fantasy Watchman. And there's a little bit of that in there. You know, this is a deconstruction of D&D. So in other words, I knew that I didn't want to have D20s. You know, that kind of like, you, you stick a D20 on the cover and it's like, instantly gets that kind of vibe. As in, you're that kind of book in that way. And Stephanie had the idea, which is amazing, because Stephanie is not, like, Stephanie's somebody who is, like, powerful in her thinking. She And she's, like, a very free-spirited. She goes where her, her muse takes her. And she basically had the idea of instead of actually having a shape, she would actually put shape on the cover. So you take a D20 and you unfold it and you get this shape. Uh, and which, is, of course, is a literal deconstruction of a D20. So in other words, this is 100% a D&D cover, but it's not like anyone else would do it. Um, and then, of course, we introduced Ryan News. Like, Ryan News is our designer. He is uh, an incredible designer and artist. He's like one of my, going back like literally to the early 90s, I've been loving his work. Um, so I asked him to do it, and he kind of, like, it was originally just, can you do a logo design? And he came um, aboard for the whole thing. You know, you know, he just started doing more and more, and he's kind of led this kind of very modernist design aesthetic to the book. You may notice, instead of having a logo at the top, which I thought we would have, we have D-I-E spread around the actual dice. You know, the lettering is design- is a font of uh, Ryan's, uh, which is Korolev, I think he's called it. It's available to buy. Which is very much a D- uh, sort of a dice-inspired font. Um, and of course, you know, this doing something this for you know that immediately makes it formally rigorous. We have this, and on the individual issue covers, we move the D, I, and E around. So we're, we're like immediately asking readers to put it together. Immediately, it's a slightly less commercial choice, but it is a kind of like, oh, this is us choice. The thinking, of course, is covers are meant to be identifiable. So you know, when you walk into the shop and you look for it. That's what a logo is for, really, because the art may change. Um, in our case, the fact we have this shape on every issue's cover, that's our icon. You know, that's our Superman badge. That's our, um, you know, that's our logo in a real way. So we get a chance to play around with everything else. Um, the title, it might be worth mentioning. Um, Fantasy Heartbreaker is a term from indie RPG design. I have got the name of the guy to do it. 
but basically it's the idea from uh, that you actually I'm just googling you're going to hear me google blah 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 google google Ron Edwards Ron Edwards uh, from an essay about fancy heartbreakers which is like circa 2002 uh, the idea is basically somebody who designs a role-playing game system uh, and has not really kept up with RPG design. So, words, they probably played D&D as a kid and then they've gone away and made their own system. They've come back and released it and they're not aware of how much rules have changed. So, in other words, it's a completely useless game. You know, or if it's not completely, but it's like, you know, it's just kind of like this weird evolutionary offshoot. Uh, and there's, you know, it's all kind of clunky. And the thing, that, and the reason why it's a fancy heartbreaker though is the fact they're gone and designed by themselves means they've got lots of. There's usually at least one or two really weird ideas which only they have done, and that's why it's heartbreaking. Um, so fancy heartbreaker, of course, speaks to our kind of intent. This is, I, this is a depressing book, but it's also a deep, deep like nerd reference. It's not like, it's not like making a joke about Thacko. I mean, the second arc is called Split the Party, which is a much more accessible like title. But this is kind of a signalling, oh yeah, this has done its reading. You know, there's a level of, like, for people who really kind of like in deep in indie RPGs, that's an unusual thing to call a fantasy book. Actually, to be honest, it's such a weird one, I half suspect people won't even go for it. You know, as in they won't automatically think it's caught that for that reason. The uh, other thing about the like, literary is a trade. This is going, oh my god, I'm going to go into the actual really boring parts. For it's like, it's $10. You know, ten dollars is cheap for a trade. Like, and why would you know? And fifteen dollars would be more regular, but many people go sixteen, seventeen, even twenty dollars. Uh, and there is, I mean, Wicked Divine's uh, first trade is ten dollars. Voss Free is fifteen dollars, I believe. Free being another book I've done. Why would you do that? I mean, the ten dollars trade is an, basically an economic argument, really. In that um, you would make the first trade is the one that sells most. So you would think that, you know, you want to, if you charge the full price, you're making a significant amount of more money per uh, issue. Um, the argument of doing a $10 trade is always, well, I say, but it will sell more. Uh, in other words, sales will come in higher and um, the second trade will be, you know, normally priced and then that will sell a proportionally higher. So let's say, you know, first issue trade is X, second uh, trade would be like, 0.5 maybe maybe between 0.4 and 0.5 would be a pretty good kind of like mark for that kind of stuff uh, and the first, and the tra later trades are kind of like mostly kind of stabilised there so in other words it's kind of a math is like the length of your series determines whether a $10 trade is worthwhile and also the amount it would push it to so as you've got to be, able to be selling quite a lot to make the actual increased numbers for later trades a significant, you know, a financially sensible thing to do, and you've also got to be, you know, uh, have a series long enough. <laughs> so in other words, Wicked Divine for us it made sense. It's like we knew it was going to be a nine dollars, uh, sorry, nine trade series, or ideally it would be a nine trade series. So like, okay, with launch of ten dollars, that makes sense. And also, a lot of books were doing ten dollar trades then. Um, in the case of Die, it's probably more borderline. Die is probably about half the length of Wicked. So in other words, it's like. That's probably long enough. My gut is, if you're selling, not my gut, the best sort of thinking is, if you're selling more three or more trades, it's worth doing. Uh, also, as long as your actual initial levels are higher as well. That's also the thing. Uh, and in the case of Die, it's been this um, 
the actual individual issues have sold very well. We've gone to like fifth printing of issue one, issue two, and I've kind of I think it's fifth, five for issue one, four for issue two, four for issue three, three for issue four, and two for issue five. I think that's right. Um, so we like sold very well. So in other words, it's kind of a hype book. In which case, let's make it as easy to everyone to get in. And you know, there is the other one. I tell you, in an ideal world, I would love to like just make it ten dollars full stop. Just because you know, I would rather people, more people read the book. Um, but they've run. Uh, I need to get me and Stephanie paid. Um, then there's the other side. This is actually where we get a little bit stupid. In that it's a big trade. We're like 180 pages. Like if you know the ten dollar. Of course, that means the paper costs are higher. So we've actually cut our own margins. It would have been sens- much more sensible financially to kind of like bare bones it. But instead, we've got quite a lot of stuff at the back. Um, which I'll probably talk about in a bit. I'll, I'll save that for later. Uh, the design, as I said, on the, if you look on the back, it's uh, by Ryan it's still. We have, Ryan, of course, saw Stephanie's deconstructed D20. And, okay, that's the core. We use geometric shapes. So if you look at the back, there's these kind of uh, lines. You've got, like, a, a number, like a D4 exploded to show, like, which trade number it is. And the quote. And then we at the back, and, like, there's... There's always a kind of a balance with Wikdiv. We went like we went slightly more, and here we are. I want to have less on the back, as and we um, give a very we give the basic quote. So there was short paragraph description. Um, then there's a statement. The first statement is what the book is, which is in the nineties, six teenagers disappeared into a fancy role playing game. Only five returned. Nearly thirty years later, these broken adults are dragged back to discover the game hasn't finished them yet. Ellipsis. I really I, I worry about ellipsises. Um, second paragraph just says who me and Stephanie is or who, who me and Stephanie are uh, and then the last and the third one is says what the book is actually what issues 1 to 5 of the critically acclaimed series so these kind of like you know here are the the kind of the, 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 the core facts of it and then there's three quotes um, one from Matt Mercer from Critical Role uh, one from Tor and one from comicbook.com um, which is very much the thinking there of course is Matt Mercer is less is there uh, is there a better person to put a quote on the back of a, an RPG-related book in 2019? I, 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 you know, I don't I can't think of anybody. I mean, if we managed to get a seance with Gary Gygax, maybe. <laughs> uh, but, you know, no, Matt gave this lovely quote. So, that's, so here's, like, the sort of... Celeb- here is a celebrity quote of somebody you might have heard of in mass market, or, like, someone relevant to the um, the book's theme. The second quote's from Tor. So Tor is kind of much more, like, a literary quote. You know, kind of, like, it's the... Here's a kind of the literary kind of... Slight fan press, but like wider than fan press. I mean, if I if if I had a decent Guardian quote or something like something like that, that's the kind of the quote I do there. And the third quote is from ComicBook.com, which is like, of course, a very big um, sort of comic centric geek site. Uh, and we use that one as well. Yeah. So in other words, you know, I'm trying to pick those three pillars. Here is a quote from somebody, you know, somebody famous. Here's a quote from somebody uh, from the kind of the, the broader press, and here's a quote from somebody from the, the geek press. This is kind of like three relevant recommendations. Like, I could have put lots of quotes from like from um, from famous writers or celebrities. You know, a lot of people have said nice things about Die, but it's like eventually after a point it gets overkill, surely. Um, and also, the more you put on that, the less space and the actual the space of this design is so important. Anyway. That's what we're thinking about trade. So, isn't it amazing? I've done this amount without... Um, so, I'm looking at the, the spine. No, there's nothing there. It's worth noting, saying volume one at the bottom of the spine, which is kind of the key thing. Um, 
and then the also talking about the length of the title, as in length. Of the, if you actually get the title too long, it, the design breaks. And like, in, I forget on Wicked Divine, our length. I think it was like we couldn't have more than twenty-five letters without breaking the design. And I forget what the length is on Die, but that is literally a consideration, especially when I quite like run-on titles. Um, sorry about the bit squeaking there. Um, I said I've just basically been speaking for. 20 minutes nearly. Uh, literally, I maybe even opened it yet. Let's open it. Immediately, opening. Die Volume 1, Fancy Heartbreaker. Opening page. We've got more of the, the uh, tessellated triangles. And then we've got this opening page with these, you know, six exploded shapes. Which are all dice exploded. Um, it's interesting, of course, you can explode them in various ways. So which, what's the interesting way to explode them? We ended up like this. Same with like Stephanie with the cover one. There's a lot of like people who've done exploded D20s online, but Stephanie made her own exploded D20, and she made an exploded one she liked the feel of. You know what I mean? As in, what does it look like? Uh, inside, more title credits. Me, Stephanie. Stephanie, of course, I might as well talk about Stephanie briefly. We kind of met um, when we were doing a book for Marvel called Journey to Mystery, when she did the vast majority of the covers. Um, and the covers are such an... This is, we changed the artist quite a lot. I mean, Doug Braithwaite, he did the original kind of like, but we sort of set the initial tone. But Sneffy is the thing that, that carried on through the book and kind of gave the continuing tone. Um, and I had no idea she was an interior artist until we got to the final issue and Lauren Sankovich, the editor, suggested Stephanie to do it. And she did it. And she, this last issue of Journey to Mystery is one of the ones which people um, talk to me about a lot about. It's the, it's the real kind of big weepy heartbreaker issue. It's like I'm literally, my, even in my Twitter stream today, I've got people talking about how sad that issue made them. And also how good it was. I think it was like, I think it was top, there was a recent poll uh, of like critics uh, for a site called Shelf Dust. And I think it was top 30 issues of all time, which of course is just speaking to the, you know, the generation of critics who are writing about comics now. But that's pretty good for a book that wasn't never sold that well. Um, it's not okay. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm, you know, I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm denigrating myself. Um, Anyway, so I met Stephanie there, and, it was, and that issue went so well. Ever since then, I was thinking we should do a book together, and we, you know, we became friends, and we we talked about. It. She was she was kind of the fact she's done a few issues, but she's never actually done a series. In fact, you know, she's never even done a full mini. I think. Um, so she did some issues of Wicked Wicked Divine along the way, uh, and I was always always I always kind of knew that I wanted to do a, step, a fantasy series. In fact, there was at least a couple of ideas I was developing for her before I had the idea for Die. Anyway, Clayton, who was our letterer, our long-suffering letterer, I think, Journey to Mystery was also the first time I worked with Clayton. And Journey to Mystery was such a demanding book in terms of lettering. Like, it was just had a lot of it for a start. But there's all different kinds of, like, voices and styles, and it was never easy. And Clayton nailed that, and Clayton has basically been my letterer of choice ever since. I mean, I've worked with some really good letterers, but he's, like, the one I know best, and who and she, he knows my idiosyncrasies. There's a word I can ever say... Uh, he knows like my nonsense like better than anyone, so it's like it was very natural for me to ask him, especially with the, the kind of journey to mystery aspect to it. Ryan, I've mentioned previously, who I'm literally asked in the pub. Uh, I started talking about it with him, and he went for it. In that he's such a real like cool modernist in his ways. Thinks Chris Williams is the editor of Wickdib amongst other books. Um, she did a book Super Freaks uh, with Elsa Chocotter. I can never pronounce her surname either. I'm so bad with words. Um, she's also my wife she has the misfortune of that uh, but she edited Wickdiv and a few other things for me with me and so it's very logical for her to come under it and 
then we're actually into the book. Even though so we've got like black pages, black you know, spacing pages. This is kinda of like there are definitely publishers who were who just kind of throw all the issues basically you collect the issues and put them in and you cram it in as tightly as possible. Uh, and in the case of us, we don't want to do that. Like this is we we're kind of like want to have a level of grandeur to the book because the book as we said the book is kind of like sepulchral in pacing and often tone so like anything which makes it feel like bigger is important I mean like with Wicked Divine when we launched that uh, we, t- we didn't talk about it in public but we kind of like had this element of swagger was the idea of putting it in that we kind of um, a lot of indie books kind of like put themselves as the underdog and with, with Wicked we were kind of like no no we, you know, we on you, we on your new gods now and forever. To quote Darkseed, is that what Darkseed says? Probably. Um, yeah, that Elms of oh no, no, we're the big deal, and kind of just like keep a straight face while saying it, and you know, you're grinning when saying it because everyone knows how the industry works. But that kind of like you, that the fake it till you make it of it. You know what I mean? And we did everything we could to sort of signal the book was this kind of grandiose pop statement. I mean, like. Um, and that was the kind of thing. And with Die, it's a little bit... I said it's a bit more grown-up. I mean, grown-up is the loaded word. But, you know, it's explicitly a book about 40-somethings. Um, so, we just wanted to be tome-like. You know, there's elements of, like... I said the design is a deconstruction of DDD. And it's got this cool aesthetic. And I use cool by to mean not as in, like, hip daddy-o. <laughs> I mean cool as in cold. As, you know, it's deliberately a little austere. And that kind of signals the book. Um, basically, so, we do the title... We do the chapter... And we do an intro, each chapter basically has a cover. Uh, we use a version, we move all day, so we just have the cover there. Then we go for an intro page. This, of course, is sort of derived from the initial book, you know, as in the initial issues, but made its own thing. We've got a title, the one, the party. Uh, of course, all the way through, we have titles which are like speaking about, playing with D&D terms. Of course, this is the, the actual first issue is actually a birthday party. And it's also about the party, of course, the group of people who are getting together. It's a book that runs off wordplay. The, I mean, it's called Die, and like by the end of the first trade, you'll realise there's like seven reasons why it's called... Was it five? I think five. Seven would be exaggeration. I think it's five. And it's this kind of... Cha- this imagery chases its way through. The actual one thing we had a kind of argument over... Actually, not an argument, conversation, as we made, we tried to decide what was best. As well as, the, as well as the title, we have a quote. We have a quote from Tolkien here. Uh, I am not at all sure that the tendency to treat the whole thing as a kind of vast game is really good. Certainly not for me, who finds that kind of thing only too fatally attractive. Um, in the re- I've got a lot. Of, I've got this quote document. I keep lying on my hard drive, which obviously is lots of fun. Um, and we basically pick one quote per issue, and we actually put the quote on the back of the issue. And the question here became: Okay, we, I would like to keep the quotes because they're part of the aesthetic of the book, but do you put them on the back cover? As in, do we put them at the end of a story, or do we put them at the start of the story? And either way, it's pretentious, <laughs> which of course is part of the point. Um, uh, and we decided to put them at the front. The reason why, despite them being at the end, as in on the back cover, in actual fact, you might read that quote before reading the book, as in it kind of happens before it. But and also putting it actually after the story means that the actual is now the final beat in the story. So it's essentially the equivalent of adding a caption at the end of the story. Uh, and that kind of like, that changes the book in a really significant way. And I decided that, especially, and it makes it, and it undercuts the story and it makes it slightly more parasitic, uh, which I didn't really particularly like. And also Watchmen did it that way. You know, the end of the quote, 
Yeah. And not, not you know, let's let's not just do what Watchmen did. Um, so it's at the start, and it feels more like an epitaph, which is nice because epitaphs are quite appropriate for this kind of like funeral tone to the book. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You know, and if it's designed, it's quite, you know, small and elegant. This, of course, led to something else. So what are you going to do between um, issues? So if you actually go to the end of the first issue, we were going to just do black pages because that's, you know, put a black page here. And that, you know, basically you reset it so you don't go straight from the last page of the... Okay, so this is actually where someone actually saves some money. You know, as in, if you just go from the last page of the previous issue to the first page for the cover of the next issue, um, you've just, uh, you know, you can do that. Instead, we put a page between it, it creates a spacer. And of course, we also use the covers. Like, there's many people who wouldn't use the cover. They would actually just go from uh, last page of last issue to first page of next issue. So, in other words, you've just saved. I mean, we've spent four pages for every new issue we have. As you know, we have a spacer, then we show the cover, then we do another intro page for the issue. And you could lose those four pages. And for like, for the five issues, that would save 20 pages in the trade. And that's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, so, but we don't do that because we want, we are frankly idiots. And it's our money we're spending, which is nice. Um, but so I would have just done a blank page. You know, that would have been fine. But then Stephanie, now, the, the great funny bit, I'm like an old pro. It's a funny thing to say because, you know, you still think you're kind of new. But like, now I've been like doing this since 2006 in terms of indie comics. So I've, got an idea of what I want to do or like I'm pretty like used to it and I'm excited about stuff still but it's more like okay what works what doesn't work what do we want to do this time um Stephanie hasn't Stephanie's never done a book uh, an indie book like this before and so Stephanie is full of excitement and wants to try stuff and she wanted to do interstitials as in so these are new for the trade she does these little sketches of the um the cast uh, as teenagers now these are, I, I don't know what people when people see the trade I'm, I'm interested in what they make of it because A it's definitely not doing painted stuff which is immediately a completely different thing and it's also her doing a, a slightly more naive and like warm style and it's these are just heartbreaking you know it's, in that kind of this story is about these adults and where they ended up and to show them as teenagers having fun you know what I mean it's uh, very different like we've got and they of course deliberately chosen to be as heartbreaking as possible it's like Matt's mum's you know Matt's mum died when he was young so it's Matt's mum saying goodbye to him you know so, you know, getting ready for school and it's um, you know Angela playing with her dog who and of course you know the dog's dead before the first issue starts um, you know what I mean and it's like these are delightful cute images but also like oh my god I can't believe you drew this Stephanie um, like they're mostly her I mean I gave her a couple of ideas but they're mostly kind of her having fun with it in one of my favourite later on we've got Matt um, there's Matt with like a boombox on his shoulder and Stephanie originally just had it as a boombox and I just thought can't you just add the uh, cable because like I, the idea that Matt has one without batteries and he just plugged it so he actually just he's posing as being a guy carrying a boombox around but of course he's got this this uh, cable and plug hanging off his back immediately is like that's that's quite A very Matt but B quite funny 
I'm actually looking at one of them now, which is um, Isabel in a, in a diary, writing by herself. And of course, the diary, all these are major plot points. Um, and Isabel, I love this image, but like, Stephanie um, had used one of those like old, not early 90s, late 80s diaries with a little, you know, little key and you, you know, these are very much um, feminised diaries. I, that's how I tend to think of them. As I know, I think about my friends who had them and they were all girls. Um, and of course, you've got a little lock in your diary, so it's always very, like, very private. And she's drew this this diary with a lock and a key on it. And like I saw that, and I was okay. I'm going to use these, ke-. you know, keys are now the, the fundamental bit of imagery for Isabel. And that's kind of um, of all the books I've ever done, this is the one that's most improvisational. Like Jamie actually thinks like me. Like Jamie, uh, we're um, and we're all about the execution. It's like how are we going to do this? And we become this kind of like laser focus. And Jamie's very good at working how we're going to nail it. And Stephanie is, um, much as I said earlier, much more freeform. She's, her muse takes her places and she invents a lot of stuff. And it's like, um, which leads to me having to write in different ways. Like I'm writing for her and I'm also taking more back. And it creates a kind of, um, the edges are softer. And I don't mean like, you know, which sounds like, oh, it's, it's uh, more delicate. And it's not, you know, the sea's soft. <laughs> as I always thought, uh, Stephanie's like the sea. In that this is kind of this... Um, it moves and it's fluid, and it, you know, and the storms will crush you. And to, I mean, this artistically speaking, and you've got to like ride it and respect it and like work your way. Out. You know, really interesting collaboration. Um, well, that's pretty good. Oh my god, I've gone half an hour. It's, isn't it great? I have literally not talked about the story, which is kind of fun. Like, it's one of these things that like uh, these kind of like directorial com- commentary. I'm never quite sure if you, people who listen to them are people who are kind of want to talk, listen to the creators generally, or whether they uh, are people who've read the book and now want a bit more. And I guess this is kind of useful. Like, no one really ever talks about like putting a trade together, do they? It's always like, I mean, it sounds like it's always about the story. I mean, I used to do a podcast called Decompress, which was literally me interviewing people and saying, "Okay, page one, panel two. Why did you do that?" And that's fun. You know, I could literally sit here and talk about panel choices, but like, no one ever talks about trades. Anyway, I'll come back if Ben ha- if Ben will have me back. I'll do one an actual issue and talk about the choices in more position. But this is kind of like something else. So anyway, the issues are, there's five issues, uh, that's, the first issue is like 35, 34 pages long, and all the other issues are 24, 25 pages long. Um, you may know that's longer, a standard like American short, American uh, serialised comic is 20 pages. Uh, I did that choice, this is one of the bits where I just think I'm an idiot, uh, like, I did that for... Um, I wanted the issue. I said, what would make you me buy an issue? Like, well, if it's slightly more content, maybe. So that was that's at least part of me trying to make the issues more rewarding. But I was also thinking, like, it allows me to publish the book quicker. You know, like, so the stories come out monthly, then we get to the trade. Because I thought with Die, the main readership is probably going to be in the trade. Because, you know, fantasy readers are these kind of, like, very wide space. And this is a very accessible way for people to buy. This, this book is. You know, that I thought, like, so let's get to the trade as quickly as possible. Of course, that's a false economy because while the issues come across five months, it does you know it doesn't take Stephanie any less time to draw it. So it's basically six, you know, because it's five, it's an extra five page, four, five pages per issue or four to five pages per issue. So this is basically six issues of content plus an extra, a bigger size issue one for five in five issues. Uh, and of course, we also learn earn four dollars less. So in other words, it's literally costing us like uh, an issue's worth of money. Every five issues, in abstract sense. Um, in practice, I, you know, we're selling this book selling very well, so it doesn't really matter. So it's nice to be able to give more back, but it's kind of like 
I'm aware that no no one else really does this. <laughs> anyway, but of course that adds up to uh, uh, I said a big trade, especially when you're adding four pages per issue as designer. So was, we could have really been sensible and just ended the arc, you know, and you know ended it with very little back matter. But it's like as I said to me, everyone. And back matter is basically the equivalent of this conversation we're having now. It's extra content. But I quite like back matter. I quite like the idea of trades feeling different. And normally I give... Like in WikDiv, we do like letters and letters pages and other stuff in the back of the trade. Uh, and then we also... Sorry, in the issue, whilst in the trade, we do like making of stuff. In the case of Die, though, I had these like essays in the back of the um, issues. And people just seem to really like them. As in, they were they were quite important for contextualising the work. And for like for once, I decided to just put okay, what the hell? We'll put the essays in. So that's kind of like, which is like this is rare. Let's actually treat it like Tolkien and include the appendixes. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is actually Stephanie wanted to write something. Stephanie wrote an essay uh, about how she did her art, uh, and it's like well, we've got to include that. And so in other words, when you've done that, you've got oh, here's a variety of essays. Etc. Etc. That's not what we start with. We start with actually die the RPG. Now this is where it gets. This is basically where you kind of like, Kieran, what's wrong with you? Um, I wrote an, an entire RPG. Like when time you listen to this, as and it should come out tomorrow. I'll have released the beta PDF. And like I say beta because it's not like a full big hardback game. On the other hand, the RPG is fifty-five thousand words. Like and then another ten thousand words on the character sheets. And that's like the stuff I'm releasing. Like there's there's a whole other book PDF called the Arcana. Um, and I've done this as a side project for no money. Like, and in my head, like, I've justified it to myself as it's a marketing expense. You know, that's, this means it work. In reality, it's based on me writing a small novel for no reason. <laughs> Except I think it's really fun and cool. <laughs> and it is, and it's funny because, you know, what is that actually... This is the sort of thing I suspect I'm going to talk about later. In that, when I'm doing a book like Die or Wicked, what I'm really looking for is chances to think about this book as often as possible. So with Wicked, it's kind of like, it's part of my life. I don't have this playlist. I listen to the playlist all the time. So every time I listen to the Wicked playlist, which is like nearly 500 songs long, I'm thinking about Wicked. Like, these songs are connected to characters. And when they shuffle, I think about, okay, this song is playing next to this song, therefore it makes me think about this character in a different way. So it's basically like shuffling through a tarot deck eternally. With Die, the fact I'm doing an RPG alongside it, it's made me... Um, you know, I, I, it's led me to having lots of different kind of like in, thinks, thinking about the world, thinking about the characters, thinking about the character classes, which are much more like a general archetype. And of course, it's also made you know, and the bits of die we're never ever going to see in the comic, or probably. I mean, that's the other thing. When I'm writing die, I'm aware that this book could have a sequel. Like die, it, it never could. Wittdiv always ends on a, like a beat and stops, and we'll never do it again. Die was like, all right, we're in that ending. This is in, you know, there's there's stuff we can do with this concept. Um, which is in, which is a, which I've never done before. Um, that's a complete lie. I did it with phonogram. I mean, phonogram was meant to be open. Once and futures. No, no. Even, like actually, I'm thinking because Uber is my other book I'm doing. Uber is this World War Two comic, and that also clearly can't have a sequel. So like, it's interesting the between closed works and open works. Um, anyway, the RPG. Well, it's free. It'll be on the Die website, which is diecomic.com. Um, it should be up on Wednesday, uh, like probably Wednesday afternoon, I think, because if, if I put it up in the morning, I wouldn't get people complaining about where the RPG is, and I quite like to be shouted at all morning. Uh, anyway, Die uh, RPG Beta, that, that's 
an enormous thing and frankly I could do a, a podcast about three times as long just about that so I'll skip that then the variant covers like we don't have to include variant covers I mean doing Wikdiv but like in fact but here it's like they're just such so lovely and like this is such an art led book I was explicitly I wanted to with this book it was like I want to take Stephanie Hans who is like this incredible cover artist and, and kind of give her make everyone realise how good she is give her this uh, this stage and let her basically do magic I mean it's kind of like Wikdiv was similar I mean Young Avengers was was probably where I tried to create a place to sh- for Jamie to show off but Wikdiv was where we cemented it so I kind of like you know I want to take the artists and like parade them before the world and you know and let them let them, you know, I want to ena- help enable that. So, like, that's one reason why it's kind of full of stuff that Stephanie likes to draw. Um, and then, of course, this leads to like Stephanie loves art. Obviously, she's an artist, but she also loves covers. This is kind of like I think I, I originally didn't want to do alternate covers on the book for commercial reasons. Um, well, partially because we've just gone Wikdiv and we've done it all the way through, and it's it's quite a bit of extra work and costs some money, and you know. The real problem is, once you've started doing alternate covers, like if you have an A and B cover, or if you actually ever stop doing the B cover, you basically lose all those sales. So in other words, let's, you know, you sell, let's say that 20,000 copies of like A and 10,000 copies of B, uh, if you stop doing B, your sales drop from 30k to 20k. And this is despite the fact that most, you know, the majority of people don't buy both covers. But retailers, you know, they're really busy, I get it. So you, you lose the majority of those 10k sales. So in other words, yeah, you, you know, it probably gave you a help because some people do buy both. And especially in a book like Die, which has A, doing very well, and B, have such beautiful covers. You know, I imagine our people buying more than one is probably higher. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a golden handcuffs. As in, once you've started doing it, it's pretty hard to stop doing it. So I didn't want to get into that. But Stephanie was like, I love covers! And it's my, you know, it's her first book. She's never done it before. Uh, she wants to basically get her, hit up her friends and, like, get her heroes. And, like, and I was like, yeah, that's how, you know, there's no way I could say no to that because I get it. Why, why, would, why would you not do that? And in the case of Die, I mean, okay, the flipping around, Wicked Divine, the way we did it with the B covers, the alternate covers, rather, was trying to basically get our favourite artists of the period and try to have this treat our characters like icons. That's always the thing, as in, like, imagine, you know, this character is at least as important as Spider-Man, and we treat them, or it's at least as important as Spider-Man and Beyonce put together. <laughs> you know? And and that, that's like we come back to the idea of swagger. You know, uh, with Die, uh, it's not quite the same thing. Like, we're treating the characters like, these are atmosphere pieces. These are kind of like, um, you know, just, uh, and they're basically the idea of, like, visionary fantasy like entertainment I guess so we just go through and there's a mixture of like our, fr- our, our very close friends and people uh, who've done previous covers and like just actually I'm oh, just looking through some of them amazing uh, you know and uh, what, and there's an there's a endless list of people we, we, I don't even want to call any of them particularly out here uh, but that's kind of like these are different ways of seeing die my favourite ones I've got to say though are st- the weirdness of Stephanie's second covers because since we've went to multiple printings now the sensible thing to do is just like slightly tweak a previously existing cover 
Uh, and Stephanie's pride as a cover artist repeatedly stops her doing that. <laughs> so there's an amazing cover of the Elf Queen here from issue two, which is her like, and it's it's a very seductive cover, and it's a, like a real sand. And there's a, and the more you look at it, there's a creepiness too, which is kind of, of course, the intent. Um, and she did that overnight. Like the mail from Image came in on like uh, late Wednesday night, I think. We're going to do a second printing of issue two. Uh, and she might actually like it was probably Thursday and she stayed up and she was like a bit insomniac so she stayed up and just did this cover overnight and I was like no Stephanie you're meant to be working on the next issue don't kill yourself doing it secondary covers and you can't stop her because she wants to do it <laughs> and the thing is you never as a creative like the same way like you couldn't stop me making an RPG system because I wanted to do it it's a stupid idea you know like, why, why would you do that but it's also the stupid ideas is, is one of the reasons why books feel like they do is why people buy into them because clearly if the, if the creators had any sense, they would not be doing this. <laughs> um, still. So that that was one, and Stephanie did the uh, an issue three one. In the end, it's like the fact deadline, you know, other stuff, there was travel, meant we only did them for... We must have talked Stephanie out of doing it, basically. Because, uh, you know, they're, all, they're always on, like, or we want to go to press on Friday and it's Thursday. So in other words, you, there's never, like, a week's deadline. Um, got some space. For the next section, some character design stuff. This is kind of like you sort of see Stephanie thinking her way around the characters. There's a lot of uh, Ash. Ash took a lot of work. In fact, Ash had like multiple names um, before we settled on her. We um, I don't, actually I don't want to say some of the other names, but like we we were kind of like, would that work? Would that work? But Ash felt you know right, as in there's you know there's a fundamental sadness to it. And you see like right from the beginning, there's kind of um, there's bits of it. She kind of. Uh, like there's a bit where there's a, oh, the cat suit design is the interesting one, and I was like, I was, I was always kind of pushing. We definitely, I wanted to be more like um, sweeping, you know, the idea that this is the sweeping gothness of her, um, the, the, the too much drama of Ash because she, she's a very like, you know, she, I say the her character, which is a dictator, is um, barred as a horror character. So there's a bit of that to it. Um, so we worked mo- probably most on her. She was the hardest. I mean, Angela with her sort of like crazy cybernetic stuff was kind of there to begin with. Like um, it was always kind of like ways to make her feel like a magic cyberpunk, which of course is you know, without being it's like taking Shadowrun and doing it the opposite way around. So instead of like taking your fantasy tropes and dropping them to cyberpunk, you take your cyberpunk tropes and drop them to fantasy. Was kind of the thinking. Isabel, there's one here, Isabel with the horns on the head, which is really cool. There's actually what there's one bit where Stephanie wanted to have the god symbols, all the god symbols on the armor, like all twelve gods, and a. That would have meant like completely deciding them before we start the comic, and that kind of nails us down. Like, I like this is a fantasy world, so you, I want to have room to explore it. And B, Stephanie, you get, it's going to drive you mad drawing like twelve symbols on the character every time you show her. So we got rid of that, which is sensible. Matt was instant, like in second. Matt was the first character. It's like oh no, that's Matt. Like the kind of sad Aragorn, chainmail. Like yeah, that was instantly great. And Chuck's design is like I'm not sure when she designed the jacket but the jacket is I think she may have done that for the cover uh, but it says player across the back and it was inspired by the uh, George Michael jacket he was wearing Circa Faith uh, which is hilarious if you know the character Chuck but there's, lot, you know, there's lots of stuff and she does a lot of design work which is delightful that's the essay move back to the essays then and then we end up with we end up with a further reading section which is kind of we could have done much more uh, like I deliberately kept my fervor reading what's the stuff which was basically books I read specifically to try to get inspiration for Die. In other words, um, 
textbooks and histories and uh, meta stuff about fantasy. But there's only one piece of fiction in here, which is basically, I mentioned Planetary by uh, John Cassidy and Warren Ellis and Laura Martin, which is Planetary was the book which made me realise that Die could work, or rather the engine for Die was not so impossible. Planetary is basically a ser- every issue looked, it was the history of the superhero comic as seen through a group of superheroic archaeologists. So these archaeologists, every issue, go and dig up an old thing uh, in this universe, and it's something from the history of superhero comics. So you basically do these homages and awkward deconstructions. Um, so every issue has this in- very strong individual tone, as in this is the issue which is about Hong Kong action movies, or uh, or Godzilla movies, or 1980s Vertigo, or um, 19th century Penny Dreadfuls. Uh, but at the same time, there is a backbone for the whole thing of a conspiracy plot, as in, okay, what's actually, what is planetary for? What's really going on? So, in other words, you have enough forward momentum from the car- through the conspiracy plot to basically support these individual vignettes. And so, like, and I realize, oh, right, that's kind of like in part what I'm doing. Like, it's not like Die has more like Die has less individual full on issue parodies the exception is issue 3 issue 3 is basically our kind of deep deconstruction of Tolkien um, but I wanted to have, as, as, an, ha, as a story structure have space to do that as an okay this is the Tolkien issue this is the this is the Moorcock issue this is the Lovecraft issue this is the Bronte issue so I wanted space to do that whilst also aware that each chapter is going to be more modular you know that's the idea each chapter is a modular entity in a way which Wickton wasn't um, but an our backbone is the character drama and also the also the conspiracy of Die, as in what the hell is Die and what's going on. So that's why I want to specifically call out Planetary. The other one which was I put higher up the list is um, John Peterson's Playing at the World. Playing at the World is a history of role-playing games. It's about the size of your torso. It's like basically five books tied together. Uh, and it's, um, it's sort of, I, know, I knew quite a lot about RPG history and development and in gaming history generally. So like the whole little... Like I was already thinking along the lines of... Um, H.G. Wells inventing the 19... Is it 1911? I forget, it's 1909 or 1911. I forget right now. But they're um, uh, Little Wars. And he, you know, H.G. Wells, famous science fiction creator, also created like the hobby games industry. And it was like the first kind of hobby set of war game rules. That's not quite true, but it's true for our, our purposes. Like you can find, you know, I mean, there's a few John the Baptists, but that's kind of really where it starts. Which I love, and I love the idea that the father of modern science fiction, like, also invented like games, and I was like, him and Stevenson sending letters about their war games, um, and I just love that kind of. You know that those people, if they were born a hundred years later, they would completely be all over D and D. But so I knew that kind of. I also knew the Kriegspiel, which is kind of the German war games that inspired them. So I was already thinking about that. That and also the toll. I was thinking about the, the flow for all those things. Uh, so playing the world covers all that stuff in more depth, much more depth, but also includes stuff like the paracosms, like shared fantasy worlds. And that's my introduction to Charlotte Bronte uh, and her sisters and her, bro- her brother Bramwell and their shared fantasy world. And that is a major influence to die. Like it becomes more important later on, but it's kind of present here. Uh, so that's a hell of a book. You should really, really read it. Um, and Stephanie, of course, took a different route. Stephanie was mainly talking about like fantasy she liked and also like, Art, you know, she's taking a much more generalised. This is the fancy that inspired me. These are kind of the art, the art which I was thinking about, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like because I always, and I really like further reading stuff. We didn't do this in Die, but sorry, Wickdiv, but Wickdiv kind of 
had the playlist, so the playlist is kind of the further listening, as in, here's some shit I like, go have a, go knock yourself out. I've always been into the idea of art as gateways. Like, um, s- some of my favourite works of art I've discovered through other works of art. Like, I always remember, like, reading... It's Slaughterhouse Five. Uh, uh, there's a quote in Slaughterhouse Five uh, where one character says to the other, because he's reading these pulp science fiction books, uh, and he goes, "All that is to know about human life is contained in the Brothers Dostoevsky by Fedor." Uh, sorry, <laughs> oh my god, I blew the quote. All there is, <laughs> the quote is, there's a guy reading science fiction books, uh, like really bad pop pulp science fiction jokes, which are kind of like Vonnegut mocking himself, really. Uh, all there is to know about the human condition is in the Burroughs Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky, but it's not enough anymore. Which is a great, you know, it's that, which is a wonderful quote, as in that it talks about the despair, etc. Of course, me usually makes me go and read Dostoevsky, because I didn't, and that was me going finding my Dostoevsky, and I've used, you know, I did a whole issue of notes on the underground parody in the X-Men, which is one of those kind of, oh yeah, people pick up the X-Men to read me doing a riff on a 19th century novella. That, that's what that's what that's the reason why my book was a huge sales success. Um, it's Sonic actually. Actually, that issue, Dustin Weaver art. If you did get that's literally my favourite issue of Uncanny X Men, just because Dustin killed on it and Dustin really got what I was going for. Um, anyway, also gateway. So in other words, having a kind of reading list. Uh, there's a kind of that you know. Oh yeah, this is where we come from. This is stuff you probably like, and like that kind of chasing, going through the library and like. Uh, is nice for me and you know people talk about the concept of originality and a lot of people get the concept of originality to be uh, the Athenian bursting from someone's brow and it's kind of nonsense like isn't like you know I just don't that's if you think about originality like that you're being very naive it's like expecting like you know comics to be com- about comedy it's like yes you've heard the word but you haven't really thought about it have you uh, that's me at my most patronising <laughs> but it's early and I haven't had enough tea yet so like, the idea of like you know showing you're working oh yeah this is stuff I metabolise and create something else because that for me creativity is a process of metabolising everything that everything that goes into you um, and how it becomes a filter because it's like the stuff you see especially in like younger artists uh, I mean creators generally is that you know there's a moment before you can just see the influences and then a point where it becomes something else um, and some and, you know there's not and you know it's not like a it's not that you wake up one day and it's all gone. I mean, like, people can see my influences, I'm sure. Um, but there's a kind of, like, there is the fundamental, oh, you haven't seen these things put together in this exact way. Um, and it's tricky, because, you know, that's always, of course, that's always in the eye of the beholder. Uh, but, that, of course, the eye of the beholder also speaks to the ability of people to see things. You know, as in, like, if somebody is only aware of, like, um, I don't know, let's say... If someone's only aware of Hellblazer and they read Phonogram, you're just going to see the Hellblazer references. But there's a lot of all the other stuff you won't. Um, it's weird. I always thought like I, I always thought my early work like Phonogram was my influences are so clear, and I was trying so hard, and I really was. But like I've had so many people say that like, you know the, the voice was like itself by then, which is obviously very complimentary. But like um, something also not aware of. Right. Anyway, that's the reason why I put references in. Also by the same creators, other books we have done, which is tricky because Stephanie hasn't actually, um, of course, done much by herself, and a lot of her stuff is like bits of others. Uh, but hopefully, people can remember to buy this kind of stuff. And finally, we end with team bios, and I love this in that kind of um, 
we want uh, like <laughs> so it's me and look, me, basically got three photos me Stephanie and Clayton and it's like me and Stephanie being like, these pouty serious I mean these pouty arrogant creators <laughs> then you got Clayton grinning like grinning like the Joker he, and he's having a lovely time it's like these two people are, have corrupted Clayton <laughs> it's like save Clayton from Stephanie and Kieran um, anyway that's good and of course black and white because you know we're Jumanji but golf uh, <laughs> right, and that's a walk through the trade without ever really talking about the issue. Uh, I said it's available for $10. I think it's really interesting. It's something like, I'm really proud of it. You know, it's one of those, like, you, you, you're always kind of proud of what you do. You know what I mean? It's always there. But, like, here is a statement. Um, and we did it. Anyway, this has been 55 minutes-ish. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for listening. I'll get more tea. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Kieran Gillen on Twitter feel free to tweet me I'll try to get back to questions I said Die Comic is diecomic.com it's available from all good bookstores and probably a lot of bad ones too Uh, and I'll speak to you guys soon Uh, goodbye Forever Dog This has been a Forever Dog production executive produced by Brett Boehm Joe Cilio and Alex Ramsey for more original podcasts please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.